Welcome to the Teachers Matter podcast, where we share stories, strategies, and wisdom to inspire your teaching and enhance your life. We'll go beyond the theory by sharing tips, tools, and actions that will help you to create a positive difference in your life at home and school. With your hosts, Karen Tui Boys and Megan Gallagher. Hello, welcome back. We're excited about this session because we're going to be talking about learning. Yay! Hey, and look, one of the things with learning is that often we hope that the skills and knowledge that our kids need to learn gets caught rather than us taking responsibility to do the taught part. Yeah, we've also sold children a lie, I reckon. At five years old, we tell them, go to school. Learning is fun. And learning isn't always fun fun. It's actually not always easy. So we really need to make sure our children understand the learning process because as soon as it becomes not fun, they're like, I'm out of here. I thought this was (laughs) going to be fun and exciting, but actually sometimes it's difficult and hard. And that's what you always say, isn't it, Karen? Got to go through hard to get to easy. That's right. So, and that it's the struggle that makes us strong. And so we want to make sure the children and, you know, as teachers, we understand are we having kids just in their comfort zone all the time or are we able to move them into the learning zone, which feels a little comfortable, uncomfortable, a little awkward, a little challenging at times. So, Karen, what I'm wondering is, does this fit a little with what we often talk about with surface and deep learning in that in order to be able to go deep, to be able to do those really juicy, authentic tasks, to really get into that inquiry learning, we need to have some skills and knowledge quite secure before we can really engage with that. You know, I worry that sometimes it's a bit like building a house. If we don't set those foundations really nice and strong, then everything else gets really wobbly. And the further we go up um, or the deeper we get, everything starts to wobble a little bit and maybe not be quite as well structured or as good for our learning as what it could be. Mm, Actually, Sal Khan talks about Swiss cheese learning, that when we don't know information at a certain level, it creates holes in the cheese. And then we go to the next level and there are more holes in the cheese and we go to the next level and it becomes so holy that you can't actually continue to add information and learning on top. So uh, absolutely, I think it's that making sure we're filling the gaps, making sure we are creating those foundations of knowledge early so that the children can build on that. And we often see that in exam systems. They do okay in level one and maybe level two, but level three, there's too many holes. So it's a lot harder for them to do the learning. So that's when it starts getting really wobbly for them. Yes, yeah. And often failure happens. So the wonderful Gretchen Wegner from uh, America talks about what she calls the learning cycle or the study cycle. And I think this is foundational for children and teachers to understand how this knowledge and information is acquired in the brain and how do we know that learning has actually occurred. So she talks about three steps. And so step one is the encoding, where we are inputting information into the brain and we are you might call that learning. So this is when the teacher uh, gives a a lecture or students watch a video or they realize that learning new information. So they're having a discussion with someone or they are um, 
listening to a speaker speak and they're learning new information. And what the brain has to do is encode that. So file it away, make associations, get different processes happening in the brain. And so just because it's gone in though, that's step one. Step two is what we call the retrieval or where we output because what goes in there's a different amount that comes back out. So for instance, uh, just because uh, you've listened to this podcast doesn't mean that you're going to remember all of it at the end. So we're inputting right now, but how much can you retrieve? How much can you discuss? How much can you remember at the end? That's your output. And Gretchen says there's always a gap between the input and the output. So when uh, we're teaching, we need to check and have children check for their output. How much can they remember? What can they recall? How many of those words can they spell? Uh, and find out what they don't know and what they do know. So she talks about ending up with a, if you're using flashcards, a pile of the ones they know and the ones they don't know. And of course, the key to learning and the most important study tip that I ever teach when I'm working with teenagers is to learn the information you don't know. So not going back over and over the things you do know, but studying and looking and learning the things that you don't know. So this is step three, which is to re-encode the information that you don't know. So you're going to re-input it into the brain. But the key is is to do this in a new and different way than you did it the first time. So if you wrote the notes out from a book the first time, rewriting them the second, third, fourth time isn't probably going to help. So it's focusing on what you don't know and maybe summarizing those notes, maybe highlighting the key information or circling it or taking that information and making an infographic to help you understand the process. There are hundreds of ways that you can then re-encode. It might be asking questions of the teacher. It might be reading another source of information, might be watching a video on YouTube. There are hundreds of ways that our kids can uh, learn information in a new way. And so then once they've encoded the things that they didn't know, you then go back to, well, that's back to step one. And then you go back to step two, which is, do I remember it? Do I know it? And not just right now, but can I do it a day later, a week later, a month later? Can I still recall that information? So does that make sense to you, Meg? Yeah, it does. And I think it's more than just information, isn't it? It's like skills as well. And Absolutely. That so being able to practice the specific skill you've been taught in that, in that environment. Like recently, I started learning how to crochet. And so for a start off, I learned how to make a little crochet flower. That's the only thing I could make. And I really couldn't get my head around anything else. So I'd, I'd acquired the skill or I'd, I could retrieve that particular skill. And then I went to learn something else and I actually I tried to make something else and it didn't work at all. It was a complete and utter disaster. And so I actually needed to go back through that process because I hadn't acquired enough of the skill to then be able to go further. And then, you know, Eventually, I managed to make those connections, and, and now I'm into basket weaving or basket crocheting uh, because I've been able to practice that skill and, and re-encode the bits of the skill that I hadn't acquired the first time around. You know, one of the things I think sometimes as teachers, we think because we taught it, students have learned it. 
Yeah. And uh, there is usually a huge gap because just because you taught it doesn't mean learning has actually occurred. And it occurs to me when my daughter was young, she brought home 10 spelling words. And she said, Mum, the teacher said I need to write them all out 10 times a night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And on Friday, the teacher will test me. And I said, really? I said, how many of them do you know? Well, she uh, gives me her 10 words and I test her. So the inputs happened. I am now on step two, the retrieval. And she could retrieve and spell, as far as I was concerned, nine of those words. So the question is, how many does she need to re-encode, relearn? And the answer is one. But she said, but the teacher says I need to write them all out 10 times a night, which if she does that is a total waste of time because she can already spell them. So it's about focusing on the ones that they don't know. That's the true key to this learn. Gives me another example of when I was in a school in Melbourne and the students were all doing independent literacy activities and one girl was practicing spelling words and I said to her, "Do you already can you already spell these words?" And she said, "Yes." And I went, well, what's a word you can't spell? And her brain just starts going, (laughs) and I could just see it. And I said, come on, what's a word you can't spell? And she looks at me and she says, paint. I went, fantastic. I said, let's let's write it. So she writes P-A-N-T. And I'm like, fantastic. How do you know you're right? By the way, I knew she wasn't right. Uh, <laughs> just kicking. Uh, and uh, she goes, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, how could you check? And she says, oh, look around the walls. So she walks around the classroom to check to see if she's right. She can't find the word paint. I said, okay, how else could you check if you're right? And she says, I'll use the Thras chart, which is a literacy program they use in Victoria, Australia. And she gets the Thras chart out, but she can't work it out. And then the little boy next door says to her, why don't you look up the dictionary? Well, she goes and gets the dictionary, but of course, to look it up in the dictionary, you have to know how to spell it. She couldn't find the word paint in this dictionary either. So then I helped her and said, look, you've got four of the letters, you've got one more, and here is the letter you're missing. I put the I in and I said, how about you go and practice that one now? So now she's practicing something in a different way and finding new ways to do that, to re-encode so she can now spell the word paint. And I think that's a great example of how many times in our classroom kids are just doing sometimes busy work or comfort zone work because it's easy. They can just do it over and over again. It's not stretching and growing them. They're not in that learning zone of being able to grow and stretch and create those uh, different pathways in the brain. What I really like about that example, Karen, is also what you did with, with both your own daughter and then with this, this other student is you identified what they had done well. So you help them to get that little bit of motivation by noticing the things that were successful on their journey to actually acquiring or or, or learning the stuff they didn't know. Because I think, you know, like when we talk about some of the research that came from reading Bohielskov Elfin's book, you know, when he was talking about how students, younger students don't learn from failure, they learn from success, but that doesn't mean that they don't go into a position where they're going to have to fail and learn. 
what it means is that we help to guide them so that they can see where they've succeeded mm. and where the next step is for their learning. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think that's something that as teachers, it needs to be a, we kind of need to be tuned into that. So we're almost like success monitors or cheerleaders in the background at different times for our students. Absolutely, because it's always easy to see the negative or the bad stuff the kids are doing or they didn't get it right today. And I think we're probably wired like that as human beings as well. So helping them to see what they've done well and uh, celebrating that success. One of the things I love to celebrate also in my classroom environment is I built a, a culture of learning in my own personal classroom when I was teaching was to celebrate confusion I loved it when kids went, I'm confused. Because at that point of confusion, if you can sort out the confusion, you can see learning happen. So here's what I used to do. I used to, if someone said, I'm confused, I'd go, fantastic, stand up on the chair. And so I'd get them to stand up on the chair and I'd stop everybody and say, excuse me, excuse me, I'd like you to uh, pay attention here. I want you to watch learning happening. And so the child would explain the confusion. Me or someone else in the room would help them unconfuse. Is that a word? And, and then the kid would go, ah, oh, I get it. And I go, see, you just saw learning happening. And it was, we'd shout and we'd cheer and we'd have a bit of a celebration because how often do you actually see learning happening? It's mm. like, and so I wanted to showcase it for my students and help them to uh, see that learning happening all the time. You must have had a seriously high trust environment with your students to be able to, you know, the work you must have done to create that is, is huge. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So they knew that it was all about the learning and they knew it was all about the, the outcome of growing your brain. And yeah, we'd done a lot of work at the beginning of the year about the brain and learning to be able to get to that point. Yay. Yay. And I think um, that's the other thing about this learning that you're talking about is that we don't have to drill and kill the, the enthusiasm for the learning just because it's hard. We don't have to make it... Um, unnecessarily unpleasant and in fact as you were saying before when we are re-encoding and re-encoding in new and different ways we have to do that because our brain likes novelty and so if we're doing the same thing all the time the brain gets bored and goes meh can't be bothered um, and so it's really neat to see that that's that's an important part of the cycle and there's lots of different ways to help our children to do that retrieval and to do and and, and actually to do the re-encoding as well so some of the things I was just thinking as you were talking, like think peer share, it's a fantastic technique and it's very quick and easy to do, you know, and we can do it in the middle of a lesson. Mm. So if we're presenting a large body of information, 10 minutes in, we stop and we say, okay, we've just talked about X, Y, and Z. Can you turn to a partner? Have a think first, modeling what, what actually thinking looks like. Now turn to a partner and share what you've learned. And then come back to the group and sharing sometimes we do things in the class like we share like a professor so let's imagine that we're a professor of whatever we've been talking about now can you please be a professor and turn around and talk to your colleagues about what you've learned so we have a bit of a play in there and I think keeping it playful and like can sometimes be really fun one thing that I do in my class now is I will often encourage my children to go home and tell their parents or somebody in the family or someone after school and using the, the communication tools we've got, 
I'll flick a message to the parents saying, hey, this is what we've been talking about today. Make sure you ask your child because they're a real professional about it so that they're kind of keyed into to that success. But we have to, if we're going to be talking about it at home, then we have to plan what we're going to say. And that helps to build that retrieval and that memory as well. Mm. There's lots of other ideas, you know, drawing, telling three people in the room, standing up and moving and talking can be really helpful as well because that gets the body moving, which I think is really important. Lots of graphic organisers. Bubble maps are fantastic for collecting large amounts of ideas. Um, oh, oh, Ron Richard's Cultures of Thinking and Thinking Routines. Those are brilliant too. One of my favourites is I used to think, now I know. I love that one because that's really around. Sorry? Yeah, that shows the learning. That shows the growth, right? I used to think, yeah. but now I think it shows that, hey, look where I've moved my thinking from, from here to here, which is really powerful. Absolutely. And I love when I do, you know, like recently I did that with, a, with my class over quite a big piece of content knowledge that we'd been working with. And just their delight as they were unpacking it was absolutely fantastic. You know, when you were looking at them, when they, I actually got them to record what they had, record their, their images that they'd created. And you could hear it in their voices as they were speaking and the confidence and the amount of knowledge and connections that they were making was really exciting compared to what they'd been doing previously. Mm. So, yeah. I think the key is here that we want to celebrate the learning in the classroom, make sure children understand the learning process and make sure that we are showcasing that for them so that they can see their own growth because that creates purpose in a classroom, doesn't it? It's like, oh, look what I learned today. And you know, the number one question parents ask is, you know, what did you learn at school today? What did you do at school today? And often they actually don't know what they've learned today. So make learning really important in your classroom, make it the function of what you do, the feature of here we've, here we've moved from here to here, let's see that we can showcase the learning in the classroom. And that means using that language of learning as we go through our day and, and making, making that stuff explicit. And I think that's really exciting. And then, and then you get the buy-in from the family, the children see the purpose, they come back to school, they're excited. And even if learning's hard, they are enthusiastic about it. Yay! That's what yes. we want. Teachers, go off and give it a go. Send us your feedback. Let us know how you really promote learning in your classroom, how you showcase it, because we want to uh, gain more information and uh, keep sharing this. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Matter podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more teachers and educators. So please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. It really helps. And if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to have more resources and information, head on over and join us at spectrumeducation.com.